0: This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time, from RelicRadio.com. relic radio show 60 minutes of radio drama which you can find every tuesday at relicradio.com we start off this week with rocky jordan and hear his episode from september 4th 1949 titled a stranger in the desert after that it's the cbs radio workshop and the billion dollar failure of figure fallop their story from august 24th 1956
1: buy wisely buy for flavor By Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan. Brought to you today by Del Monte Tomato Products. (laughs) ¶¶ Not far from the Mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story A Stranger to the Desert.
2: Like any closing time at the tambourine, the last of the stragglers at the bar had been sent on their way. All my help had cleared up and left. I had just locked the front door and cut the light when my eye caught this figure out through the big front window. He was walking under the dim street light across the intersection with unsteady steps like one filled with arach. I wouldn't have looked twice except for the way he kept coming, directly toward the tambourine, closer and closer. And without swerving a step, he walked straight through the plate glass window. He fell face down on the window shelf and didn't move. But I did. I was about to drag the man to his feet, but then I knew better. He wasn't drunk at all. He was dead. With a knife between his shoulder blades. Right away, I put in a call for Sam Sabaya of the Cairo police. And before I'd hung up the phone, a crowd had begun to gather. It always happens, they materialize out of nowhere. In less than ten minutes, Sam appeared on the scene and took over.
3: Let me through, please. Let me through. Record, Disperse the crowd at once, Captain Smythe. Move back, Neco.
4: Over here,
3: Jordan. Jordan, who is this man? Never
2: saw him before, Sam. He just happened to pick my window.
3: Help me turn him over. Carefully. I trust Jordan that you did not become overly curious. Didn't touch him, Sam.
2: It's all yours. These
3: hmm. pockets are empty. There seems to be no identification. Somebody made sure of that, even tearing the labels off his suit. Yes, I see. Look at him, Sam. What do you make of it? There's much to be learned, Jordan. The rough hands of a laborer, the weather beaten skin. I'm noticing
2: something else.
3: His face. Somehow it's different. Yes, he's not a man of the east, that much we know. The oval shape, high cheekbones, sharp nose. I've never seen any type like it. As you say, Jordan, even in Cairo, where nationalities come from all over the world, this man is most unusual.
2: the only thing that makes sense is a knife in his back.
3: Yes. Well, for the moment this strange man remains one of Cairo's unknown dead. That's all there is? Certainly not, Jordan. A routine check with the Canadian consul today informed me that a Dr. Willoughby, a noted anthropologist, arrived two weeks ago for study at the Cairo University. Oh, he could help. I shall have the body removed to the morgue and calling Dr. Willoughby for consultation. You mind if I join you? On the contrary, Jordan. Come along. <laughs>
2: went the police headquarters, in about an hour, a white-thatched, energetic little man arrived and introduced himself as Dr. Willoughby. He eyed us sharply as Sam took us down into the morgue, and we stood looking at the lifeless man.
3: Observe now, Dr. Willoughby. Ah, yes, now we shall see, now we shall see. You will doubtless realize why we were puzzled by this man. In a moment, please.
5: Mm. Well, proportion short, but the face, Dr. Yes, yes, broad, over-cumpled, long, narrow nose. Most incredible, most incredible. Uh, then you can tell us. And there, as I thought, traces of the epicentric fold. Mind explaining that? The Mongolian fold on the island. I cannot get over it, gentlemen. Indeed, Dr. Willis. And uh, what manner of man is He's this? Surely a stranger to the desert, Captain Sabaya. Uh, let's have it. What is he? What is he, Mr. Jordan? This man is an Eskimo. Eskimo? In Eskimo, e. did you say? Mr. Jordan, indeed, I did. Attest, if you please, the uh, horse black hair light brown of the body and the copper color of the cheeks. Nevertheless, Doctor... This man is truly an Eskimo. What would
2: an Eskimo be doing in Cairo? Uh-huh, Mr. Jordan. That is a question I must ask of you. Well, we could have asked questions like that for the rest of the night without any answers. Instead, I went back to the tambourine. But this business of an Eskimo in Egypt had me wondering, especially when he falls through my window with a knife in his back. Well, I had to make some arrangements to get my front window boarded up, and after that I got some sleep. The next morning, i just opened up and was waiting for the help to show, when in walked two more strange people. About five steps behind the first, walked a big-robed Yemenite, and in the lead, hair stacked high in her head above slanting eyes and a sleek figure and jewel platform shoes, was a woman. Her heavy perfume came in way ahead of her. She was very delicate and small, and in her hand was a very delicate and small gun.
6: Where is it, Mr. Jordan?
2: Where's what, lady?
4: Give a civil reply, America.
6: don't, Jabu. I think of the money, Mr. Jordan.
2: Oh, sure, the, the money.
6: I think you know what I'm talking about. Where is it?
4: Any special amount?
6: All of it. Ten thousand pounds.
4: Forty thousand dollars to you, in Enough,
6: Jabu. I am speaking.
4: Your command, my lady.
6: Quickly now, Mr. Jordan. Look,
2: uh, suppose we put away the artillery, huh? I'll sit down, have a nice cool drink. You
6: still pretend not to know what I'm talking about?
2: It happens I don't.
6: We shall find out. Jaboo, step around me. Search him thoroughly.
4: With the greatest of pleasure.
2: You've got big hands, Jabou, but keep them off of me.
4: I can use them well, Jordan.
6: Only search him, Jaboo. He's covered with my gun. Mm.
4: There is only the pound note in his wallet, my lady.
6: Try the cash register then. Keep looking.
2: Listen, if you're hunting for 40000 around here, give it up.
4: Here is the bank book, my lady, under the counter.
6: Bring it to me, Jabu. Then step back.
2: No luck again, lady. I haven't put money like that in the bank.
6: Oh, I see. But there are many places to hide money. Perhaps Jabu must not be so gentle. My way is
4: best. Such as this, Jordan. Hey!
2: There's quite a man, Jabu, with your lady holding a gun.
4: I do as my lady commands.
2: Even a slipping a knife in somebody's back?
4: Guard your words.
6: Kelp. <coughs> Enough, Jabu. Perhaps Mr. Jordan wishes time to consider the error of his way.
2: And I take it you'll be back?
6: Perhaps. In the meantime, you might also ponder on how short life can be.
4: So very short, Effendi.
6: Come now, Jabu. Follow behind...
2: She kept the tiny gun in her tiny hand and walked out the door with Jabu the correct distance behind. Her. I held it a second and got to the door just in time to see their car around the corner of Black down and disappear. It was all too much on schedule. I couldn't say why, but somehow I knew it was all tied up. This Yemenite and his lady,
1: and the Eskimo in Cairo. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Let's drop in on the Tyler family and listen to a little family conference going on in the kitchen.
6: You know, dear, I want to have something special when Barbara and Tom come over for dinner tomorrow.
1: Oh, shucks. I know Tom will go for anything you fix, so don't go to a lot of bother. Well... Say, I know. Why not start off with some ice cold tomato juice?
6: That's a good idea. Del Monte tomato juice. The perfect way to start a meal.
1: How right you are, Mrs. Tyler. Mrs. Tyler. Del Monte tomato juice makes a perfect appetizer. Nothing could be easier to serve, yet it gives a special extra lift to meals. That's because...
6: Del Monte tomato juice is fresh tasting. Del Monte tomato juice is natural tasting. Del Monte tomato juice is refreshing.
1: Fresh tasting, natural tasting, and refreshing. Yes, that's a perfect description of Del Monte tomato juice. That fresh, sunny flavor, that sparkling, natural taste which comes from the very best field-ripened tomatoes all adds up to real, deep-down, satisfying refreshment. Keep several cans of Del Monte tomato juice in the refrigerator. You'll find they come in mighty handy. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, A Stranger to the Desert.
2: It all began when an Eskimo, yes, I said an Eskimo, fell through my front tambourine window with a knife in his back, and it figured the recent visit from the perfume doll and her boy Javu connected up. That was a problem Sam Sabayak could have, so right away I put in a call for him at headquarters.
5: Cairo Police,
2: Greco speak. Hello, Greco. This is for Sam. Put him on. And who is this speaking? Jordan. You know me. Where's Sam, Greco? Mr. Jordan,
5: it happens that Captain Sabaya is not here.
2: Where is he? I want to talk to him.
5: Captain Sabaya is at the present uh, attending an important meeting in Alexandria with the Minister of Internal Security. I am personally taking over his cases.
2: Well, then you can tell me if there's anything new on the killing of the stranger. Please, be specific. The Eskimo, Greco. There seems to be nothing new.
5: Is that all now?
2: And then I got something to report. Now get this, Grego. Be brief, Mr. Jordan. Can you not see? Listen. Very well. A couple of people just came into the tambourine, roughed me up looking for $40,000 they think I have. I don't know what it's all about, but I think it fits with the Eskimo killing. Duly noted. Now, here's a description. One was a girl, small, Eurasian, loaded with lots of perfume and a pearl-handled revolver. I didn't get her name, but the man. Are you listening? Mr. Jordan,
3: must I again remind
7: you that my time is
2: limited? His name was Jabou.
7: Duly noted.
2: You gonna do something about it, Greco?
6: If that completes
2: your report... Oh, one more thing. They said they'd be back. Duly noted, Mr. Jones. Ah. Well, with people punching at me, I couldn't wait around. for Greco or anybody. For a lot of reasons now, I had to know how and why a lonely Eskimo came to Cairo. A man that unusual shouldn't be too hard to trace. So I rung up a few hotels, but got no help. Then I hired a taxi and began making the rounds in person. I tried my friend Archie
3: at Shepherds. Eskimo? Oh, I say, Rocky. You Americans have such a quaint sense of humor. Eskimo, indeed. Next,
2: I taxied on down the shower of Suleiman Pasha and stopped at the Villa Victoria. A buxom lady held sway behind the desk.
6: My good man, there are no Eskimos here, but you will find the bar on the lower floor. Good day.
2: After that, I took a chance at the Acropolis Hotel. The desk clerk was very uncooperative. But no, mister, we don't have
5: Eskimos,
2: it. And that goes for seals, polar bears, and walrus. Now get out with your bum jokes before I call the cops. I went on trying a few of the smaller hotels. Maybe I was getting tired, but so was somebody else I noticed following me. It was a third-rate tailing job, so I let him through the Moosky Bazaar. And at the right spot, ducked around a corner. As he came by, I grabbed him and yanked him into an alley. Hey, hey, let me go. Uh, advance, monsieur. Watch it about, mister.
4: I was only walking this way.
2: Too close behind. What do you want? Who are you?
4: André Jean Deux. It means nothing to you. Uh, let
2: me decide. Why are you following me?
4: I told you. I was only... I can keep trying. I do not wish to fight with you, monsieur Jordan.
2: So you know the name, too. Okay, from the beginning. What's your business?
4: Yeah. I am a pilot. New to Cairo. I landed my cargo plane at the airport here last evening. Now, monsieur, I must... Not to... yet,
2: André. Where are you from?
4: Cholabar, Newfoundland.
2: Yeah. Who else was aboard the plane? An Eskimo, maybe?
4: That is right. He came here with me.
2: Uh, let's hear all about
4: Well, I, I do not know his true name. Everyone called him Johnny Silskin. He was well known in Newfoundland as a whaler.
2: Why did he come to Cairo? Uh,
4: I had my plane to transfer the cargo for a delivery here. He came as a representative of a community of his people.
2: Cargo what?
4: Monsieur, I do not know.
2: Who killed him, André? And why?
4: I also wish to know. He left the plane at the airport last evening, saying that he would come into Cairo to pick up his money. Well,
2: when did you see him again?
4: Never. He was to return, and we would immediately take off for Newfoundland. I waited for him all night, and this morning I read in the paper of his death at your cafe, Monsieur Job.
2: And you thought taming me he'd get some answers?
4: Monsieur, Cairo is a strange town. I could not be sure... How about I... that
2: cargo? You still say you didn't know what it was?
4: All he said was that his people had been fleeced before. Besides, he was paying good money, so why should I ask?
2: Sure. Any idea about it?
4: Well, uh, I'll confess that while he was sleeping, I opened one of his cases.
2: What did the stuff inside look like?
4: Uh, It was solid, rather fatty, streaked with black like marble, you might say. I recall a sweet, earthy odor.
2: How much of the stuff was it?
4: It weighed in at 2,000 pounds. Okay. Where's the stuff now? I do not know, monsieur. After I make my report at the airport office, I went back to the plane. Petro truck came and took the cases away. I do not know where. Look,
2: uh, you know my address. Where do I find you?
4: I'm at the Caliph's house, monsieur. I'll take
2: my advice and go back there, André.
4: Then uh, you suspect there is danger?
2: Why not? If they kill once, they can kill again. I had something about the Eskimo now, but still no idea why he was killed. I had a hunch what the cargo was, but just to make sure, I decided to see Dr. Willoughby again. I talked with a consul and learned the doctor was living out near the university. When I got there, his room was stacked with all sorts of books, and he seemed real glad to see me. Ah, oh, Mr. Jordan, come in, come in. Ah, sorry to bother you
5: again, Dr. Oh, Willoughby. Not but at all. I can do your call about the stranger who lies in the morgue. Yes, I have a few questions. As yes, you see, I've been doing a little reading on the subject. Most
2: unusual, unusual. Yeah, well, uh, this is something now, else. have a moment,
5: Mr. Jordan, to set your mind at rest. Mm-hmm. A moment. Now, mm-hmm. ah, here we are on the subject of the epicentric fold.
2: Absolute proof that the man is an Eskimo. Well, that happens. I know all about him, Dr. Willoughby. He is an Eskimo from Newfoundland. He was a whaler.
5: Splendid, splendid. How did you learn?
2: I was talking to the pilot who brought him, him and a uh, cargo the cargo well, Cargo, indeed, of what sort? Well, the pilot wasn't sure. He described it as uh, solid, fatty, blackish in appearance with a sweet, earthy smell. Could it be Amigris? What? might very well be. What do you know of oh, uh, ambergris? Uh, only that it comes from Wales.
5: Used in making perfumes, isn't it? You are quite correct. It is vitally necessary for the making of certain perfumes of the East.
2: And Cairo should be a good market.
5: Any idea what it's worth? Oh, quite valuable and increasingly rare. Certain firms are frantic to get it. A pound is worth $20 or so.
2: $20? That much ambergris would come mm, to about... Let me see. Two
5: thousand dollars that would come to $40,000, American. $40,000, exactly.
2: I heard that figure once before today. You did? Yeah, a dame was at my cafe this morning looking for 40000
5: A remarkable coincidence,
2: Mr. John. Yes, yeah, isn't it? Well, thanks, Doctor. That's all I wanted to know. It was enough for me. Maybe a few pieces didn't fit yet, but the police could take it from there and finish up. After all, I just run a cafe. So I went directly from Dr. Willoughby's place to headquarters. Greco was seated behind Sam Sabaya's desk when I walked in. All at once, he got very busy. I waited him out, and he finally looked up.
7: You again, Mr. Jordan. I'm quite busy.
2: I'm saving you some work, Greco. You can clean it up quick now. Clean it up? There are important matters on my mind. The killing Greco in my cafe last night. Oh, yes. You will leave that in my hands. That mean you got the two carriages I called you about this morning? In good time, Mr. Jordan, in good time. Yes. What does this mean, Greco? You're doing something about this or not? The Cairo police need hardly answer to you. You'll answer to a lot of people. You will keep away
5: from the files. It is an
2: order. In good time, Greco.
5: Mr. Jordan, I have given you an order. Come away from
2: there. I'm just having a look at the Eskimo folder.
5: Give it to me at once. Sure.
2: Have a look at it, Greco. Not a thing in here since Sophia's report last night. What about it? That means just one thing. You haven't done anything, and you don't intend to do anything about a murder. A man knifed in the streets of Cairo.
7: And why should I, Mr. Jordan? He's only an Eskimo, a stranger.
2: Sure, only a stranger, with no relatives or friends to press for him. No consul to concern itself with his behalf. Out your words, Mr. Jordan. What's the matter with you, Greco? Does it always take public opinion? Danger of a few votes cast the wrong way? Maybe solving a poor Eskimo killing doesn't carry a promotion. Enough, Mr. Jordan. You will go now, or I shall call the guards. Don't bother yourself, Greco, about anything. I'll handle it myself. It looked like it was all up to me. When I got back to the tambourine, there'd been a call from Andre, the pilot, wanting to see me right away. So I hurried to the caliph house. His room was on the third floor, rear, and I went up. I found it, but I didn't have to knock. The door was already open. I took two steps in and stopped. I stood looking down at the lifeless figure of Andre Jondo. My eyes didn't tell me anything, but my nose did the heavy aroma of strong perfume, like I'd smelled before that day. My hand was on the knob of the open door, and suddenly I slammed it back to the wall. <gasps> ah, you pen, pinned, lady. Toss out the gun.
6: <laughs>
2: the gun first. Make it quick. That's better. Come on out. You're very
6: rude, Mr. Jordan.
2: Just like your muscle man. Why didn't you send Javu to do this?
6: Please let me explain.
2: All right. Tell me about Andre.
6: I did not kill this man.
2: Sure you didn't.
6: It is true. When I got here, he was dead. Before I could leave, I had you coming and hid behind the door. That's
2: an old story. I've heard it before.
6: I tell you, I did not shoot him. My gun was not fired. Look for your head. You Believe me now?
5: Maybe. Just who are you, lady?
6: My name is Zora Harad. I own a perfume company in Calcutta.
2: Not much, checks. What are you after, Zora?
6: The money that is mine. Let's have the rest. The Eskimo wrote me from Newfoundland that he was bringing a ton of ambergris to Cairo for sale. He arrived last night, and by previous arrangement he came to my hotel. We made a verbal contract for the purchase. $40,000.
2: You paid cash?
6: He was suspicious. He would have it no other way. I gave him the money, he left, and I sent Jabu to take the cargo to my warehouse. Then, Mr. Jordan... Yeah? What then? I learned that the Eskimo had received a hire offer from the All-Eastern Perfume Company. And a short time later, Jabu called to tell me that the cases he took from the plane were empty.
2: you Are trying to tell me Johnny Sealskin swindled you?
6: I am sure of it. He took the money, then turned around and sold my ambergris to the all-eastern company. So you killed him? I did not kill him. Perhaps I would have, with the chance. Forty thousand dollars is a great deal of money.
2: You still think I've got it?
6: I gave it to him. He was found at your cafe and it was gone.
2: You got it all wrong, Zora.
6: Have I, Mr. Jordan?
2: I didn't take your money and Johnny didn't sell to all-eastern. But I know who did. I gave back the gun and sent Zora to a hotel to wait. And right away, I hunted up the All-Eastern Perfume Company down in the modern Sharia Zaki. I waited there around by the loading dock for a long time. It was shortly after the Muezzin's last call when a truck slowed at the entrance and turned in. I hopped down behind and rode it to the dock. A man got out and went to a door. Somebody let him in and was careless with the lock. I counted three and followed it was a large, half lit room. There were all sorts of bottles along the wall. I noticed several low, glass covered perfume processing vats sunk in the floor, each with its own name Desert Madness, Oriental Mist, Torrid Love, and so on. Two men went into a lighted office at the far end. I picked a good shadow just outside, and it was
3: a great risk. I came all the way. Hold it. I'm not interested in where you got the hamburger, or how. I'm just willing to buy it. Have the money? Yes, all of it. Here. Forty-five thousand. I'll take it and get out of here. The back way. I don't want to be seen with you. Yes. Yes, I will
2: go. How's the deal, Willoughby? Uh, who's that? Who are you? You know me, Dr. Willoughby. how did you get here? Is that all that bothers you? Don't come any closer. Yeah? Huh? Why so nervous? You hold the gun. Stay by the wall. Keep your hands up. Do you want? $45,000. <laughs> I don't know what
5: you're talking about.
2: So I have to spell it out, eh? You're from Canada by way of Newfoundland, right? You do not frighten me. Why do you keep stepping back? Yeah, I got it from the Canadian consul. So you knew of the ambergris shipment, came ahead into Cairo posing as a big professor. Did I, Tom? You? you took the stuff from the plane when the pilot was checking in, replacing it with empty cases. It's easy to get helpers around Cairo. And see, you know too much. You could have just delivered the stuff here and gotten by. Only that wasn't enough. You had to kill Johnny Sealskin for his money and the pilot, too, when he got on to you somehow.
5: Very well, Jordan. Touch your lips will be sealed forever.
2: His trembling hand came up with a gun. My raised hand had a bottle off a shelf, and I threw it. <laughs> My throat deflected his shot, but he held the gun still backing up. He was about to aim again when his heel caught a perfume vat's edge, and he fell back. I got over to make sure he dropped the gun. I bent over, his flailing hands grabbed my wrist, and all at once I was in on top of him. Then we were splashing around in a vat full of desert madness. I stayed on top and held his head under just long enough. Then I dragged him out of the perfume stuff and dumped him on the floor. That's when I knew Dr. Willoughby and I would never be the same again.
1: In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. You know, some folks insist on doing things the hard way, but not Mrs. Collins. She has the perfect answer when it comes to hot weather meals. But let's hear her tell about
6: it. Why, it's very simple. I just prepare light meals, sometimes just cold cuts or cold roast beef. And I keep a bottle of Del Monte catsup handy on the table. It has such a wonderful, marvelous flavor, I can depend on it to perk up any meal. Just the other day, for instance, my husband wandered in from the backyard.
1: Phew! Oh, it's been such a warm day today, honey. Let's just have something
8: light
6: for dinner. I'm way ahead of you, darling. The dinner's ready now. Some crisp salad, iced coffee, cold roast beef, and your favorite Del Monte catsup.
1: Oh, swell. You wonderful woman, you. I can always count on you to treat me right. And there you have it, Mrs. Collins' recipe for a cool meal on a hot day. And the point to remember is Del Monte catsup. Mmm, say, that zesty, lively, rich tomato flavor really perks up those light meals. And it makes planning summertime meals downright easy. Think of meatloaf or baked beans, franks, or cold roast with Del Monte catsup poured over just the way you like. Then think of flavor, rich, tangy tomato flavor that makes you want some more. That's right, you're thinking of Del Monte. So, next time you buy catsup, buy Del Monte. And it won't be long before you'll be saying, just like Mrs. Collins does
6: I always have a bottle of Del Monte catsup handy. It has such marvelous flavor.
1: Back now to Rocky Jordan.
2: I worked on Dr. Willoughby till he came around, and I took him outside, put him in the truck, and in another half hour, we pulled up at police headquarters. They took over the Ambergris cargo, and after giving Willoughby a shower and a change of clothes, they put him in a cell. I was counting on another round with Greco about then, but was happy to see Sabaya back. As I sat down in his office, I noticed Sam leaning back in his chair.
3: Jordan, <coughs> would you kindly open that window? Oh, glad to, sir. Mm. Hey,
2: uh, how was the trip to Alexandria?
3: You're quite pleasant, thank you. Uh, Jordan, yeah? what did you say you fell into? Uh, desert madness. Say, <laughs> it does things to you. Desert madness. Uh, <clears throat> I quite agree. Now, about this Zora Harad, you suggest that neither she nor Jehabu had anything to do with the killing. That's right. She was just trying to get her money back. I see. <clears throat> uh, Jordan, would you uh, please m- move back a little...
2: Is this uh, it's all right, sir?
3: Yes, yes. Now, to continue... Well, by the
2: way, uh, Greco could have handled this if he'd been on the job.
3: Well, Do not condemn Greco too much. There are certain people who must take orders. He does that very well.
2: Anyhow, Willoughby played it smart to a point. He knew enough about anthropology to come to Cairo, posing as an authority. Yet he hardly
3: expected to be called in on this case.
2: No, the safest thing was to play it straight. Nobody would suspect him. The only trouble was he knew too much about Ambergris. Oh, and how so? Well, its value, for example. That's what tripped him up. Without my telling him, he knew exactly how
3: much ambergris came in on that
2: plane. Two thousand pounds. <coughs>
3: Desert madness. <clears throat> uh, Jordan, would you do me a favor? Sure, Sam. Anything. Name hmm. it. Kindly return to the tambourine and give me the rest of your statement by telephone.
1: the finest in tomato flavor. Enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products.
6: Del Monte ketchup and chili sauce, Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomato, and Del Monte tomato juice.
1: Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jay Novello as Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is Adventure with Andrea. <laughs> For the best peaches and cream you ever ate, buy Del Monte Peaches, sliced or halved. Yes, whenever you want ripe, mellow, truly delicious peaches, look for the brand that puts flavor first, Del Monte. Larry for speaking, Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
9: The CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Tonight, we present the mythical saga of a modern seer, a true tycoon of facts and figures a molder as well as encyclopedist of public opinion. A man who, for more than a generation, had reason to pride himself in knowing what people thought and wanted, even before they actually thought or wanted it. A man whose every news release has been awaited with eager interest by paupers and presidents. A man whose pronouncements have often helped to shape national policy crystallize business trends, and change the thinking habits of our people. A man, however, who one day accepted an assignment from the lord of the nether regions and proved only fallible after all. The title? The Billion Dollar Failure of Figure Fallop. Our story centers in one of the many tall, teeming buildings which seem to reach for the sky from each side of New York's Madison Avenue. The building is one of those which house some of the world's most influential advertising and public relations offices. Those business concerns which so effectively persuade so many millions of us to change from white toothpaste to yellow, from yellow to green, and then again back to white. Firms which maintain headquarters in this building have made America filter-tip conscious, lured children into eating nourishing foods, and helped to convince women that they would be out of style if they didn't either raise or lower their hemlines each year. The accounts of some of these firms run into tens of millions of dollars. There is one whole floor in our particular building, however which is occupied by an organization devoted to an entirely different form of enterprise. It neither sells nor promotes the sale of goods and ideas, except perhaps its own services. Instead, it explores the public mind and registers and tabulates its reactions to the merchandise of its clients, whether tangible or intangible. Figure Fallops, Factual Factotums... As our story begins, Mr. Argus Goody, the vice president in charge of operations and executive secretary of figure Fallop's factual factotums, is entering the busy lobby of our building.
8: A paper! Paper! Tough presidential campaign, predict! Hello, Joe. Got my papers? Sure, Mr. Goody.
7: Yes.
8: News? Racing force? Shh! Eh? I just wouldn't say that so loud, Joe. There might be potential clients around. They don't always understand. Sure, Mr. Goody. I'm sorry. Morning, Mr. Goody. Third floor, please. Yes, I know. Oh, no, it's an outrage. Sir? Swaps at Santa Anita. You know what? They're paying one to five.
9: Yes, sir.
8: Third floor, Mr. Goody. It's a disgrace. Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. Morning, Sheckle.
10: Good morning, Mr. Goody.
8: Well, Sheckle, what do we got?
10: Well, there have been a bunch of calls.
8: Well, that reminds me. As soon as we're through, call Casper for me. Find out if he can't get me better than one to five on swaps this afternoon or Santa Anita. Tell him I'll put a hundred on him, but at better odds.
10: Yes, sir. Swaps, one to five, one hundred, Hialeah. Uh, there was a call from Pretty Skin Soap. Could we do a survey for them that would show...
8: That can wait. We got too many soap surveys now anyway. What else?
10: Glowworm lipstick. Let it wait. Well, there were a half dozen more like that in the mail. I guess they can wait, too. Oh, somebody from the Republican Committee called from San Francisco. Could we find out how Mister Nixon stands in Wyoming?
8: Oh well, we might have to do something about that. They have some money. Call them back, Shackle, and tell them we'll take the job in principle. But they should wire us exactly what they want. And we'll wire them our acceptance and price. We better have something in writing. Uh,
10: call committee. Accept in principle. Wire requirements. Will confirm. Quote price. Well, I guess that's most of it, Mister Goody. Have you heard from Mr. Fallop yet?
8: Now you word. The old boy must be really living it up, wherever he is.
10: I'm really looking forward to meeting him someday. You know, Mr. Goody, I have been here for nearly two years now, and I've never even seen Mr. Fallop.
8: Neither have I. We're in constant touch by phone.
10: Oh, I forgot. There's somebody waiting for you in Mr. Fallop's office.
8: Look, Sheckle, I've told you time and time again, I don't want to see people unless I know who they are and unless they have an appointment. Oh,
10: but he's a doll, just a doll. Seriously, Mr. Goody, I don't think this is the sort of man even you would want me to turn away before you can talk to him. I told him you never saw anybody without an appointment, and then he said something about millions of dollars.
8: Millions of dollars?
10: Well, yes, Mr. Goody, that kind of talk is kind of persuasive. Does
8: he look like a nut or something?
10: Oh, no, Mr. Goody, I tell you, he looks like a real doll, Smooth, if you know what I mean. And kind of important looking.
8: Well, I guess I'd better see him. Shackle, what's this joker's name?
10: Oh, he wouldn't say.
8: Oh, one of those. How do you do, sir? How do you do, Mr. Goody? That is correct, isn't it? Goody, it is, Mr., uh... Sit down. Uh, uh, I'm afraid I haven't had the pleasure.
7: I suppose you mean my name. I didn't think I should explain to your secretary because... uh, Well, you see, it is a bit out of the ordinary and it does require an explanation... Actually, if I may say so, I called to see Mr. Fellop.
8: But I'm told he's away? Uh, yeah, he's been away quite a while. We're in constant touch, though.
7: Yes, so your secretary, a most efficient young woman, has told me. So I decided to wait for you concerning a matter that is most important to me. Uh... Oh, my name, yes. Well, I prefer Lucifer, Mr. Goody. Just Lucifer. It was my original name, you see? Lucifer, huh? I have been called many other things, of course. Uh, Satan has been a very popular number. The Arabs make it Shaitan. Two dots on the I. I have also been called Asmodeus, Asmerati, Beelzebub, Samael, the old Nick, old Clotie, and several hundred other names in many languages. <laughs> the devil, huh? Yes, Mr. Goody. That is another name people often apply to me, but
8: I still prefer Lucifer. Well, okay, Mr. Lucifer. Maybe we'd better put it on the line. What can this firm do for you? A disorganization, I should have said, since we have branches and correspondence all over the world.
7: Yes, 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 I know. That's why I came to you. You've been most highly recommended to me by one of the inmates of my, uh, establishment, whom I happen to be on a rather friendly, personal basis... He was once in charge of a rather major project, I believe. A nationwide survey as to the number of men and women who prefer to wear only the tops or the bottoms of their pajamas when going to bed.
8: Oh, Charlie Faxwell. Yeah, I heard he passed on.
7: (laughs) You may be happy to hear that Mr. Faxwell is now one of my most valued assistants.
8: Oh, what do you know? Good old Charlie. I always knew he'd make good someday.
7: Yes... Well, Mr. Faxwell told me something about these new methods of ascertaining what human beings
8: think and believe and what they're likely to do. Yes, those we've got, Mr. Lucifer. Why, our organization predicted within 6% what Monaco would think of getting a new heir. Is that so? However, I frankly don't quite see in what way we can be of service to you, Mr. Lucifer.
7: Well, it is a little complicated, I admit. Generally speaking, though, my problem could be described like this and I shall depend on your advice for any additional findings. Uh, You see, Mr. Goody, during most of the thousands of years during which I have been in my unwanted position due to a mistake I once made, my duties have really not been too arduous. A predictable, slowly increasing number of children were born upon this planet each year. Of those who lived into adulthood, a certain fairly predictable percentage went astray, and thus became my charges. Aha. Uh-huh. But ever since your species has acquired a certain mastery over the physical forces, ever since you have acquired knowledge which perhaps you weren't ready for, in other words, ever since you've become civilized, as you call it... My establishment has been a madhouse. Why, in some years, millions upon millions of souls stream past me, and I don't have adequate facilities for them, nor an adequate staff to deal with them. In general, I seem to be in for a hectic time. And when I mentioned my problems to Mr. Faxwell, he told me about your polls, which had been so useful to him, and he suggested that I see Mr. Fallop. Uh, I suppose we down below should not
8: neglect modern aids such as yours. Excuse me, Mr. Lucifer. I don't know which one of us belongs in a bug house, you or me. But I'll play along with you for a little while longer. Now, I ask you again. Just what did you have in mind?
7: In mind? Why, well, it's quite simple, isn't it? I would like you to make a survey or a poll, or oh, whatever you call it, which will tell me with reasonable accuracy how many new arrivals to expect during each of, say, the next 20 or 30 years so that I can plan my expansion program accordingly. Look,
8: Mr. Lucifer, that would involve the whole world, wouldn't it? Of course, sir. And just how would you expect us to get you this information?
7: I don't know, Mr. Goody. That's why I came to consult your organization. I understood from uh, the late Mr. Faxwell that practically any question is now subjected to the test of a survey and that your methods have been perfected to such an extent that you're capable of handling any of the normal difficulties you may encounter.
8: Well, look, Mr. Elizabeth, uh, suppose... Uh, just suppose that we agreed to undertake a survey. How would you expect this to go about it?
7: I'm sure I can't give you any advice, Mr. Goody. That, I presume, to be your business... But I take it for granted that you and your staff know the difference between right and wrong, between good and evil, and that you have statistics covering the life expectancies of average human beings in your office, or could obtain them, perhaps. And uh, that by examining the behavior of a large number of individuals in various countries, deciding what percentage is evil, and then comparing your figures with your statistics on life expectancy you might be able to give me a fairly accurate estimate... as to the number of annual arrivals I have to prepare for. (laughs) Oh, my, believe me, Mr. Goody, I haven't held so long a speech... or used so many long words since, well, it
8: must be in the Old Testament somewhere. Mr. Lucifer, do you have any idea how many people such a job would take... if it's supposed to cover the whole world, and how much it would cost?
7: As to the number of people you'd need, I'm no expert, of course good many thousands, I should think. As to money, well, Mr. Goody, I'm quite prepared to believe that a project of the magnitude I have in mind might cost up to, say, one billion dollars.
8: Excuse me,
7: Mr. Lucifer. I I mean, would you mind repeating that? Why, I merely mentioned that I would not be unprepared to pay a billion dollars for a survey of such scope. A, 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 A billion? Why, yes, yes, more or less. I hold a great deal of the currencies of various nationalities, you understand? Money which I was obliged to collect from new arrivals during all this time. Since you'll have to operate all over the world, I thought we might utilize some of this currency for the necessary expenses. I also have a fair store of gold coins, and I thought that some of those, perhaps, might be useful in countries for which I have insufficient paper currency on hand.
8: You know that gold is illegal.
7: Mm, Not to receive it, I believe, only to keep it. But perhaps you can find a profitable way to part
8: with it. Okay, Elizabeth, you got a deal. How do we make out the contract?
7: Contract? Oh, you know, Mr. Goody, the only contracts I ever sign are signed with the blood of the other party. (laughs) And I only do that because some writers of stories about me insist that that is my method. No, 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 we don't need a contract. What I had planned was to make an initial installment of, say, $100 million Do you? Ninety million, as I thought of it, in various governmental and banknotes, and perhaps ten million in gold for emergencies. That should be enough to enable you to start building an organization. Then, whenever you need more, you can just call on me, and if I should prove remiss, you can, of course, drop the whole project. Oh, I had thought, by the way, that about 15% of your total expenses would be a reasonable, clear profit for your firm. Fifteen percent? That would be... A uh, hundred and fifty million dollars. Mm-hmm, something like that. And I'm prepared to throw in a few hundred thousand dollars for any official or member of the survey staff who distinguishes him or
8: herself. Does that sound reasonable? Mister, you are nuts after all. And what bank are you going to give me a check for? I was not proposing to give you any check, Mr. Gooday. Just the cash and the gold. Well, you mean out of that little satchel? Well, that's hardly bigger than a woman's handbag.
7: <laughs> Nevertheless, here's your money. Italian, fifty thousand; Burmese, forty; Brazil, seventy thousand; Argentina, China, Australia, Austria, Yugoslavia, Siam, Nepal, Formosa. Well, that's the lot, I guess. Count it if you wish.
8: I wouldn't know how to start. I can't even read the writing on most of these things. They look like money all right, though.
7: They are, sir.
8: Now for the gold. About ten tons of it, I believe. Ten tons? Out of that little
7: satchel of yours? Every million dollars is a ton. Here we go.
8: Hey, hey, wait a minute.
7: And now, goodbye, Mr. Goody. I shall expect a report from you. And uh, my regrets to Mr. Fallop at having been unable to make his acquaintance as well. Oh, no, no, thank you. I shall find my way out.
10: Gold, gold, and go. gold.
8: Ten whole millions. Hey, Sheckle. Sheckle, come here a minute. It's oh, what a mess! Money, Sheckle. We got the biggest job that's ever been done, Sheckle. Look at it. A hundred million bucks. And this is only the beginning.
10: Call from Moscow, sir.
8: What's the matter? Did Khrushchev get tight again? Give it to Mr. Ashburn.
10: Kill from Hong Kong, sir. Uh,
8: 439, repeat, 439, residents jailed for theft and burglary, week ending today. 2321, repeat, 2321, women and girls arrested for immorality. List of name follows airmail. Thanks. Give it to Mr. Ross over there, will you? Off from Tokyo, Mr. Goody. Give it to Mr. Aston at that third desk there. He handles Scandinavia.
10: Ohio with you, Mr. Oh, yeah,
8: show sure, him in. Sorry, Haskell, I didn't realize you'd come right I along. I just
9: wanted to report on that bank deal you asked about, Mr. Goody. It seemed a little too complicated for yeah, a letter. Yeah, what gives? Well, uh, nothing strictly illegal, but it
8: sure wasn't strictly legal I either, I see. see. Good work, Haskell, good work. Look, do me a favor. Will you tell him, Mr. Brubaker, over there, he'll take notes on the whole thing. Yeah, this is Goody. Okay, shoot. Yeah, survey of 525 London women indicates adultery up 31% nationally in the last 10 years. Yeah, I got it. Thanks, Bill. Hey, Sheckle, Sheckle. Yes, sir. I think we're really getting there. You know that idea of mine about borrowing a flock of Mr. Lucifer's girls? Well, that was a doggone near stroke of genius, if I do say it myself. What they did to Boston and Mason City.
10: Yes, I know, and to a lot of other places, too. What's the matter,
8: Sheck? You ought to be happy. Don't you want us to make a good record?
10: Well, sure, Mr. Goody, but... Stop
8: being silly, Sheck. When a client gives you a job, he wants results. If he sells soap, he wants you to prove to him that people like his soap better than any other kind. If he runs a camp for kids or old folks, he wants you to find as many kids and old folks who can afford to go there as you can find. So what's the difference if we help some people along with our going anyway?
10: Right, Mr. Goody, there's a gentleman to see you. He's waiting in Mr. Fallop's private office.
8: Well, who let him in?
10: I did, sir. He's our client.
8: Our client? You mean Mr. Lucifer? Yes, sir. Well, come on, Shaq. Let's give the big boy the word. Hello, Mr. Lucifer. Nice seeing you again. How do you do?
7: How do you do, Miss Sheckle? And you, Mr. Goody?
8: You've read our preliminary reports, I guess.
7: I have, and I've been somewhat saddened.
8: Oh, well, uh, I can understand that since you've only seen the preliminaries. But I've just begun dictating the summary of our final report, and this will really make your eyes pop. We're going to wind up with only two holdouts. A character down in Central Africa somewhere and some preacher somewhere in Australia. Those girls of yours were a big help, Mr. Lucifer.
7: Yes, I see... I wonder if we did not misunderstand each other, Mr. Goodame. Or shouldn't I call you by your right name, Mr. Phillip? Huh? Uh, <laughs> how did you know? Well, the devil's supposed to know something, isn't he? I mean, I do have some sources of information of my own. Do
8: you know about this two Shekel?
10: Well, not at first, of course, but I did figure it out after a while.
7: You see, Mr. Phillip I suppose we might as well say now that deceptions are all very well, perhaps, but take these reports,
8: for example. What's the matter with them, aren't they? What you wanted?
7: Uh, Now, let's see. Uh Mr. O.B. Smith, bank president of so-and-so-forth Ohio, last year participated in an arrangement whereby a school foundation cost the city considerably in excess of actual valuation... Mr. Smith is estimated to have illegally profited to the extent of at least $10,000 from this transaction. Well? Well, did you trouble to find out that this same Mr. Smith has built at least one badly needed playground for children... and has endowed several boys' clubs and Boy Scout troops? Why, it must have cost him several times as much as he could possibly have gained from this construction job... Uh, about which, as your reporter himself admits, there was actually nothing illegal, hmm, even though there were some shady aspects involved,
8: perhaps. Well, what's that got to do with it?
7: Well, now let us assume, Mr. Fallop, that you were one of the judges chosen to preside at the trial which all of your species must face someday. Would you condemn this man?
8: Well, there was something fishy about that deal.
7: There may have been, Mr. Fallop. But with a man whose entire life has otherwise tended toward the good, is that sufficient reason to condemn him altogether, hmm? Now, Miss Farwell of Etc. Etc. is reported to have spent a week in Miami with a man, not her husband. Did you actually know what, if anything, happened, Mr. Fallop?
8: Well, I don't have any eyewitness account.
7: I'm sure you don't, Mr. Fallop. I don't suppose it struck you as important either that Miss Farwell has spent her entire life taking care of a hopelessly paralyzed mother and two younger sisters. Yes, but what's the... Those things count, Mr. Fallop, when the final balance is struck. Uh, There is one thing, Mr. Fallop, that seems to characterize all this bosh. You apparently have never heard of qualities such as grace. Penance, indulgence, and all the other saving factors which make human existence tolerable and sometimes even beautiful in an odd sort of way. I thought you wanted us to... So I did, Mr. Phelps, but I wanted to find out, not deal with loaded dice. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sure that you used the Ten Commandments and the list of the Seven Deadly Sins as a guide, but didn't you try to tempt your subjects to violate those rules... Well, I... Those young ladies you asked me to send you. Well, you did want a good report, didn't you? A good one, yes, but a factual one. I fail to understand that you could think I would be so foolish as to want more, let us say, work, than absolutely necessary.
1: Miss Sheckle, telephone from Rome. They say it's urgent. Oh,
10: excuse
7: me, Mr. Lucifer. Well, I'll be going, Mr. Phillip. I suppose I shall just have to go back to things as they've always been, to wait and see from year to year who will be assigned to my charge. It may be slightly uncomfortable and unsystematic, but at the moment I'm inclined to suspect that it has certain advantages over your modern methods. You see, Mr. Phillip, I'm still committed to the old-fashioned idea that human beings are totalities with a spirit and integrity of their own. They may make certain mistakes, of course, but it seems to me that even those always have to be considered in the frame of the overall picture, something your modern methods do not take into account.
10: Mr. Goody. Mr. Goody, may I see you a
8: minute? I'm sorry, Mr. Elizabeth. I'll be right back. Oh, that's quite all right.
10: Mr. Oh, I'm too confused to follow your different names around. There was a call from Rome. Yes? The money. Our office there says it's no good. They say the government that put it out went out of business a hundred years ago. What? That isn't all. Mr. Brubaker tells me that Belgrade called him to and said there hasn't been any kingdom of Serbia since the First World War.
8: Why, is that... Mr. Lucifer, would you come here a minute?
7: Certainly, Mr.
8: Phillip. I would you like you to step into the storage room with me a minute? About this money. Let me see. Here's a pretty one. S-A-R-D-I-N-I-A, 1843. I always thought Sardinia was part of Italy. Well, so it is. So what good is this money? It's all 40 50 100 years old most of these governments don't even exist anymore.
7: Oh my oversight Mr Fallop. time doesn't mean as much to us as it does to you I suppose. I naturally paid you in the currencies I have accumulated from my guests over the years and I must admit the time element never occurred to me. <laughs> At that, I suppose my money is as valid as your reports to me were.
8: <laughs> Never occurred to you, fine.
7: Well, Your governments do change rather frequently. Yeah, but all my
8: money's tied up in this job, every penny of it, and a lot from the bank.
7: Well, Mr. Fallop, this is something I had not planned on. Oh, uh,
8: what about the gold? Oh, I'd forgotten about that. If it is gold. It's gold,
7: I should think. Unless the people from whom I obtained it were even worse rascals than I thought.
8: Uh, This stuff is all old, too. I couldn't do anything with it.
7: I would suggest that you turn it over to your government. Even if the coinage is old, the gold content should realize something.
8: Me stuck with all those expenses.
7: Well, it, it may seem to you to be a bit out of character for me, but if you should incur any actual losses, I shall make them up for you. But no more. Well, I'll be in touch with you, Mr. Fallop. And, uh, do read a book sometime, will you? So many mistakes can be avoided if one has a certain amount of knowledge and understanding.
8: Make up my expenses. Me with a billion bucks as good as may. Oh, well, back to work, I guess. No more morals for me.
10: Aye. So what gives?
8: Just no dough, that's all. None at all? Well, he says he'll make up our expenses.
10: Well, it might be just as well at that. A man from the Treasury and an FBI guy were here asking about some big money they heard we got and hadn't reported.
8: Tell him to forget it. The stuff's no good.
10: I'll call him. Oh, by the way, Eisenhower and Nixon got nominated again.
8: Yeah, so I hear. We were right on that one
10: anyway. Yes, but the National Committee called up. Would we pull Arkansas and Vermont for Nixon?
8: Tell him No. I don't want any more of that kind of stuff.
10: And the barbers' union called. They want to know, will we make a survey how women like to be kissed by men with beards, seeing as how beards are coming back and all.
8: Yeah. Uh, I guess that's more our speed, Shaq. Sure, tell him, sure.
10: I'll call him, boss. And, uh, oh, yes, there's one more thing. There's a man waiting for you in the private office.
8: Oh, no, Shackel! no, I told you oh, not to... Oh, but
10: he's a doll. I just couldn't say no.
8: All right, I'll see him. How do you do, sir? I'm Mr. Goody, the executive vice president.
9: What can I do for you? How do you do, Mr. Goody? I've been told by, well, actually a competitor, I suppose, that you've been conducting some valuable studies regarding human behavior.
8: Well, I don't know.
9: It was Mr. Lucifer, in fact, if you recall the name. Oh, yeah, I recall. May I ask? Uh, My name is Gabriel, Mr. Goody. I come from heaven. Heaven?
8: Oh, no!
9: You've been listening to the CBS Radio Workshop... and The Billion Dollar Failure of Figure Fallop... written by Henry E. Fritch... with Joseph Julian as Mr. Goody... Bob Dryden as Lucifer... and Elaine Rost as Miss Shekel. The CBS Radio Workshop is produced and directed in New York... by Paul Roberts. This is Bob Height inviting you to join us again next week... when, from Hollywood, we present... Colloquy Number 3... A Study of Satire with Stan Freeberg, a historical examination of satirical literature from Voltaire to the moderns. Stay tuned for five minutes of CBS News to be followed over most of these same stations by my son, Jeep. America listens most to the CBS Radio Network.
0: That's it for this week's Relic Radio Show. You can find more from CBS Radio Workshop Rocky Jordan. The Relic Radio Show and all the other Relic Radio podcasts. Thousands of episodes to listen to at relicradio.com and a shoutcast stream with even more. If you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links while you're on the website. Your support makes it all happen, thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Be back tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.